Fuck, I got a bit of a bloody bald spot going on here. Yeah, embrace it, that's right. All right, there goes Levi for the snacks. And Shabbat Shalom, greetings to all 12 tribes scattered abroad, and abroad we are in Mystery Babylon, that great whore that we're going to delve more into the apocalypse today to expose the wickedness, to pull our people out of the corruption, because this Chapter 2, we are looking at that corrupt assembly, those compromising backsliders that listen to that spirit of Jezebel. But before we do, subscribe to the channel. Give us some thumbs up in the chat. Behave yourselves in the chat, please. It's supposed to be an edifying edifying platform. So edify one another, help one another, make some connections. Give us some thumbs up. And to our donors, those of you that do support this ministry, it means the world that we're able to broadcast to the nations and hopefully, prayerfully change the lives that Yahweh wants to change in these days. Because it's an awakening. It is a great awakening of these days like none before. Let's delve into Revelation chapter 2. Two. Now, remember last week we jumped off by exposing those magical unicorns, magic and unicorns and all that entailed. And we'll finish off this week with chapter two by jumping off of the magic and into the spirit of Jezebel. Am I going to get some lights today? for the cameras. Super duper. There we go. Now I know where to look instead of a plain blank wall. So the magi and the magic and those blooming unicorns is what we were talking about last week. Now I want to backtrack just a little bit for us and then go right into this spirit of Jezebel. We were speaking last week about Balaam. Now, I think I may have mentioned it, or I may have glossed over it, but in the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament, we come across two little characters called Johns and Jambres, okay? Now, these were Balaam's two sons. These were Balaam's two sons, and they were actually called the Magi. The Magi by, of course, the historian Philo, in his writings, The Life of Moses. 
So there's a connection between Balaam and Matthew chapter 2 specifically. But what we're going to see as we go through Revelation or this particular chapter is how the narrative builds. It builds from the Nicolaitans to the synagogue of Satan to the spirit of Balaam and then finally we come to where we're at today, which is this permeating spirit of Jezebel. But it does connect. And those of us that can see with the eyes that Yahweh gives through his Holy Spirit are going to be those that hold the testimony of Yahusha, that they keep the commandments to obtain the white stone, and the hidden manna. We have to finish. We have to grasp hold of and attain all that Yahweh has for us, and we have to wrestle through, struggle through, be victorious through this minefield of Nicolaitanism, synagogue of Satan, Balaam. It's witchcraft. It's evil. It's coming against the saints. Will you be able to endure? Will I be able to endure? Or will I catch you like I did last week? What a joke. You thought I was compromising. Never, never. But these are the tests that we all have. Will we attain the white stone and the hidden manna? Because the Magi, Balaam, his two sons, John's and Jombre's. It was Balaam, of course, who had prophesied about the star. We're the recipients of the star, Yahusha himself. The star, because that star is what pointed to Yahusha and, of course, the child that would rise from underneath it. And because of this star... And because of the connection from Balaam and his two sons, this is why Pharaoh ordered the death of the baby boys. Because he was advised to by the Magi. And there's your connection. And this is how we're going to connect today from the time of Moses, the time of Balaam, with his Magi sons, John's and Jambres, we're going to be able to connect that into the prophecies of Matthew chapter 2 and the connection between Pharaoh and Herod and the promise of the Son with the coming of the Son and then the last generation having to navigate this great wickedness to be able to attain all that they can attain, their inheritance that is promised to them and it's not going to be like the manna in the wilderness. It's going to be a hidden manna, not apparent for all to see. It's something that you are going to have to search and seek for with your every, every being. And only those that can endure will obtain it. So this is an amazing finish to chapter 2 prayerfully. Now the Torah's narrative about Balaam ends when Balaam says, it says in Numbers chapter 24 verse 25, and Balaam trotted off to his own country. Well, I don't know if it says trotted, but he trundled off or he went off to his home. 
just as the Magi did. Because in Matthew chapter 2, verse 12, it says that the Magi, they also, and it finishes the same way, went away to their own country. Now, the Magi in Matthew 2, they are descendants of the Babylonian soothsayers, the synagogue of Satan, and all of the magic that came out of Babylon. All of the magic that came out of Babylon. And here's the Pharaoh and Herod connection. You see, the Gospel of Matthew's writings about Herod parallels Josephus' version of the story of Pharaoh. Where Pharaoh, yes, he consulted with his magicians, Balaam, Johns and Jambres, and then he expressed great fear, did he not? What about my throne? What about my throne? So therefore, because of that great fear, he ordered the death of all the boys. All the boys. But in Matthew 2, we see this shame, excuse me, same shadow overarching the very narrative as well because the Torah really comes to life because the child who comes out of Egypt, it isn't Moses, is it, this time? The child that comes out of Egypt is a precursor. No, it's the reality of the promise. Remember, Moshe was the precursor, Deuteronomy chapter 18, 15. A prophet like unto Moses will come. Out of Egypt, of course, it is not the precursor, but Messiah himself. Do you see the parallels and how it's now going to build in to this final prophecy in this chapter? And ultimately, it's about a mass exodus, or as some would coin, a greater exodus, far greater than the one that had happened before, because we're moving thematically from Moses and the first exodus to Yahusha and the greater exodus. And the key to unlock the journey, the road which we must travel, is Balaam and Jezebel. How so? Balaam is the key to understanding our prophetic future, which is why it doth appear here in Revelation chapter 2. And it leads us into the hidden manna and the white stone. You see, all of this actually connects to the reference that Jeremiah speaks. You can turn there. We'll spend a little bit of time. Jeremiah chapter 31. We'll start off in the 15th verse because we're talking about tears and lamentations. But why is there tears and lamentations? Not in the time of Jeremiah because we're talking that this is real for us today. There's going to be tears and lamentations. It may be some of you. It may be me that are weeping for those that we love, that just so love the world, that they won't come out of it. That just so love Babylon and the compromising church, that they just won't leave it. And yes, there will be a weeping as they get slain by the sword. And the one who wields the sword will be going into the cities throughout this nation, empowered by by the forces of the synagogue of Satan. And many people are asleep 
And we that are awakened will be weeping, just as Jeremiah prophesied, but it comes into our day because the connection between Balaam is Rachel weeping for her children. But Rachel is the connection to Revelation 12 and the children that are going to move out of the cities, move out of mystery Babylon by obtaining the white stone, the hidden manna. But will you be saddened for those that you love that thought you were crazy? that thought your theology was off, that you should have just towed the party line, that you should have kept with the Sunday church, that you should have just remained unconverted and secular, that you should have just gone to work and gone about your worldly business. But why? Why did you keep pushing it? Why did you keep pushing your faith? Why did you keep pursuing this deity of yours? Why couldn't you just be like the rest? Because we have a life and we have a calling and we serve Yahweh, and that makes us a treasured people called Israel. And Yahweh's waking us up, and it is powerful. Jeremiah 31, verse 15, it is written Thus saith Yahweh, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children. Because they were not. Thus saith Yahweh, refrain thy voice from weeping and thine ears from tears, for thy works shall be rewarded, saith Yahweh, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. And there is hope in thine end, saith Yahweh, that thy children shall come again to their own border. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus. Thou hast chastised me and I was chastised as a bullock, unaccustomed to the yoke. Turn thou me and I shall be turned. For thou art my Elohim. Because this not only speaks to Matthew chapter 2, it speaks to Revelation Chapter 12. This is prophecy. Jeremiah saw the death scene. He saw the death scene of Rachel as a prophetic one. She was weeping not just because of the agony of her difficult labor, but because she could foresee the killing of her children. We live in a time right now where Satan and the synagogue of Satan is looking right there to devour what comes out of the woman. Looking right now, the heavenly stars and luminaries testify from 2017 that we are in that reality. I know some people would like to just continue on and everything is as it was. But it is not as it was. We are a people that observe the signs and the seasons, the Moedim. Surely can we not see? Surely can we not hear? Surely can we not comprehend? This isn't, I'm not doing this for a 
kicks and giggles for something to do on Shabbat. And there are some people, this is all rah, 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 a little bit of fun. And then I don't understand. This is our life so that we can have life more abundantly. Because Jeremiah saw that this was a prophecy not only of Matthew 2, but of Revelation 12. Matthew keeps us thinking for sure and for certain about Balaam, but he shifts the context of Jeremiah 31 about our return from all corners of the earth. We are scattered, and now it is a gathering time, which is why I open up each and every week. Greetings to all 12 tribes scattered abroad. This is a prophetic ministry for a prophetic people in a prophetic time. But only a few of you have the eyes to see and the ears to hear because the Spirit saith, come now. Matthew, of course, points us back to Jeremiah, the 31st chapter and the 8th verse. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the coasts of the earth. And with them the blind and the lame, the woman with child, Revelation 12, and her that travaileth with child together, a great company is going to be gathered at that time of Revelation 12, the time that we now are in. We're going to have to deal with Balaam. We're going to have to do deal with those prophecies as did those in the time of Yahusha. But this isn't going to be like we're coming out of Egypt of the past, verse 32. This is going to be a new mystery Babylon we're coming out of. But we can do it. We can attain it because we are in the Malkitzedic new covenant, not the old broken one. Look at the verses, chapter 30, verse 32 to verse 34. You see it all there. Read it in your own time. But this is thick. This is dripping with prophetic future. I can barely sleep at night. Not for angst, but from just the reality of the days in which we live. Balaam, Laban, and Herod. This is what we see. They both killed the children of Israel. All three of them, I should say, killed the children of Israel in an attempt to kill the child Messiah. And the link, of course, is found in the traditional Jewish Passover Haggadah when it cites Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 which is spoken of by Paul to the Galatians an Aramean sought to destroy my father because those of us that listened did we listen most didn't listen to Paul when he spoke to the Galatians he said watch out for the bloody schoolmaster what was he talking about? He's connecting all of this back to the Balaam prophecies because who was Moses' schoolmaster when he was in Egypt? Acts chapter 7, it was of course those wicked sons of Balaam. John's and Jambres were Moses' schoolmaster. You don't want to be under the magic. 
You don't want to be under the schoolmasters. You do not want to listen to the synagogue of Satan that is going to try and slay you as the Spirit gathers you. This, you may have to rewind because there's a lot here. I have the advantage of camping on this and praying about this, and, but you don't. So you're, you're disadvantaged at this point. But then you have the advantage that I don't have in so many ways too. So, you know, I know sometimes you're like, what did he say? I don't know. But the spirit testifieth and the word is true and every man is a liar that doesn't come into line with Yahuwah's word. Balaam and Laban and Herod connection and Aramean sought to destroy my father. And the parallels of the story of Balaam and Laban are really so close, especially the wording. We don't see it in, in the Masoretic text, but it really pops out in great technicolor in the Septuagint. You see this amazing in the Septuagint. They're actually the words of the Magi. We saw the star when it rose. Balaam's prophecy of the star which will rise out of Jacob, Numbers 24, 17, is the connection to Matthew 2 that is the connection to Revelation 12 because a deliverer will dash our enemies. What with? His Malkitzedic scepter. The deliverer, Yahusha, will dash his enemies with the Malkizedic scepter and it's all going to come to its calamity when the Messiah doesn't come back as a suffering servant. He will come back with his rod of iron, his Malkizedic scepter, the connections. Numbers 24, 17, Matthew 2, Jeremiah 31, Revelation 12, Rachel's weeping for her children. She's giving birth to us. Revelation 12 now. And we will be weeping for those that remain in mystery Babylon. Because Rachel's grave is mystery Babylon. The prophecy about Bethlehem Ephrath the site of Rachel's grave, takes the reader to Rachel, the origin, of course, of Laban's anger, and then, call my son out of Egypt, it is written. It reminds us of the dream when Yahuwah told Jacob to escape there, even though the baby sons would be killed by the sons of Balaam, Johns, and Jambres. So the weeping of Rachel when she foresaw the, foresaw the suffering is really foreseeing the suffering before the greater exodus. And it reminds us of the first exodus that the special child whom Balaam, Laban was trying to kill prophetically wasn't really Moshe, but it was the coming Messiah, wasn't it? Now we see clearly See, the final message that the followers of Yahushua 
we ourselves as the branch. If we're the branch, we are the Nazari, we are the branch. This means that we are to be comforted that Yahushua the Messiah is truly the branch of Isaiah 11 who was linked with the star of Numbers 24, verse 17. So these connections really are what keep me up at night with excitement and are thrilling to see that this isn't just, oh, this is about something that happened thousands of years. Oh my goodness, this is a building to its historical climax where Yahushua sits at the right hand of the Father and will return with that scepter that was prophesied all the way back then. And it builds and it builds and it builds. And Jeremiah was a part of that prophecy. But the New Testament says that the prophets will inquire of you. Because you get to see it in its fullness. We get to see it in its fullness today. That Jeremiah only saw a glimpse. Moshe only saw a glimpse. Because the narrative was building until the Revelation 12 reality that was in the stars and the luminaries in 2017. You cannot deny that. How do you work that out with the days that we live? Well, by the Spirit and allowing Yahuwah to continue to teach us together through his word. The weeping of Rachel. You see, the connections abound. Ultimately, we want to have the hidden manna. Ultimately, we need the white stone. So we've got to correct where we went wrong. And not only one place of major calamity was with the magicians but another place of major calamity that the magicians were, of course, involved in was the golden calf breach. You see, Johns and Jambres were actually instrumental in promoting the worship of the golden calf that Aaron made, and they were leaders in the covenant break. And it all comes down to the connection that Paul says, who's your schoolmaster? That's why Paul refers to their treachery when he's on his voyages, teaching that the breach has to be restored and we're no longer under the book of the law schoolmaster because that is religious magic. That is the sons of Balaam. Paul is so brilliant in his communication that so many people miss it. The church says, oh, Paul did away with the law. They miss his brilliance. And then some, so mistakenly in the messianic movement, become so synagogue of Satan that they're like, oh, Paul was wrong. We've got to chuck out Paul. Both sides of the aisle, misunderstanding. As Peter said, they twist the scriptures to their own destruction. Misunderstanding Paul in his Malkitzedic anointing of which we now get to be benefit, benefactors of. He was so brilliant when he used and chose to use the word, the phrase schoolmaster, 
when he was talking about the book of the law. Because I believe Paul knew that it was John's and John Bray's who promoted the golden calf worship and the consequential breach. And he knew that John's and John Bray's were none other than Moses' schoolmasters when he grew up in Pharaoh's court. Acts chapter 7, verse 22. Now, none of us then must be under the influence of such magic schoolmasters because their magic is in fact rebellion. It is an imposed law. And with that imposed law, there are consequences to listening to that counsel. And we don't want it. We do not want it. Be prepared of the treacherous, treacherous occult ways of John's and Jombres, the sons of Balaam, because they have always tried. They have always tried to influence the believing remnant, and they are ramping up tremendously in these days. And you are the remnant if you're tuning in and you are listening to this message because it's a Malkitzadic gathering from the nations. And the scepter, which is a rod of iron, is about to strike. And it is a division of the sheep and the goats. And it connects to Revelation 12. Because to the faithful, the faithful of Pergamon, Yahushua promises us, that we'll get the hidden manna. We'll get the white stone. I believe that is speaking to the last generation that you and I will actually get to see the prophecies come to pass. The prophecies of Balaam in its fullness. Because he was a true prophet. We will get to see the prophecies come to pass. We will be able to discern the times, the seasons, the Moedim, and then we'll get to eat of the hidden manner, but will we overcome the treacherous magic that tries to thwart our journey? Because the world that we live in is full of matrix magic, is it not? And you're like, oh, it is. It's a web of deceit. It's a web of deceit. And only the Holy Spirit, through the word, covered by the blood of the Lamb, is what's going to enable us to get through. Basically, you have got to shell, get rid of the outer garb. There's too many people with outer garb of religion on, outer garb of holiness, outer garb, but they're really missing the inner reality. What I've learned over all of these years, and ministry is hard, is it not? It is hard, is that within the Torah is a series of allegorical symbols and forms that portray the inner realities of body, of mind, of soul, and the spirit to those of you who possess the eyes to see beneath the veneer. Don't look at the outer garb of Torah grasp and apprehend its inner realities. The outer garb or the inner reality? The outer garb, you'll be weeping for those that hold on to the outer garb. But the inner reality will find a place prepared for them in the wilderness.
This is the reason why we come to the hidden manna. Because I believe this is the season for us to eat some hidden manna. It's been hidden in plain sight for all to see. In the Exodus chapter 16, Shemot chapter 16, manna week, and it's revealed for us to discern in these days and times, right within the hidden manna week. This is for you. This is for me. The servants of Yahuwah who are written in Yahuwah's book of remembrance. And that's why I encourage. I know people have got lots of different opinions. But I do believe and still encourage people to continue to seek the hidden manna. And that's why we have the Covenant Calendar Club on Friday nights, where Tim and Charlene are doing a phenomenal job in explaining the manna week, the hidden manna of the calendar, which is, according to the prophecies, a 30-day 360 year for a 1260 day prophecy because what we're seeing in Revelation chapter 11 verse 3, what we're seeing in Revelation chapter 12 verse 6 isn't some old fangled corrupted calendar of 30 days, sometimes 31, maybe with an added month, oh the moon's doing this. It just doesn't work. It is the hidden manna in the manna week so that we can discern the Moedim. And I'm not here to argue about calendar. 1260, 30, 360 days, do the math. And I'm dreadful at math, but it's pretty clear to me. So these are the things that come forth in our future. How are we going to get from the way the world is now back to our 360-day year? Well, look for the earth that gets shaken just like a tablecloth. And Yahweh is in charge of history. The hidden manner is waiting for us to discern, to be ready and be prepared for what is to come. Not to live in the present or the past, but to prepare for the prophetic future. It is a 360-day year. It is a 30-day month. It is a 1260-day prophecy. The Bible saith so. Align now or find yourself weeping with confusion. That's the warning. Take it and squabble amongst yourselves if you so dare. But it really now isn't the time to do crazy math. Now's the time to realize the prophecies of the Bible are coming fast upon us and to adjust and shift to the future. Not the present and the past, but the prophetic future. So Paul is amazing, the prophecies are amazing, and the key of knowledge, the hidden manner, which is for us today. But then it says that there is going to be this white stone. Now, there's many different interpretations. I'll just bang out maybe five interpretations of what this white stone can be. And you, you judge. You run it through the scriptures, pray, and see what you think. Number one, it's possible that this white stone, as historians said, it was the ancient jurors that signified innocence by casting a white pebble into an urn. Does this reflect that judgment and innocence to those 
that are covered by the blood of the Lamb. Number two, it is a sign that you made it to the finish line, which does line up with Paul's writing, doesn't it? It's about running the race, making it to the finish line, because those that made it to the finish line, that was a good day. And there was this Tharsian custom of marking every good day by a white stone. So that would work and, and definitely tie in with Paul's writings. The third one is, of course, a tessera, a tessera that serves as a token for admission into the marriage supper. Now, for us, of course, the tessera would be the admission token into the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm liking number three. Number four is that this white stone was a reward for the victors, those who come out of the tribulation that are now able to cease from further tribulation. And who wouldn't want to cease from further tribulation? I would sure like to cease from a little of the tribulations that I am presently going through. But it isn't going to happen that way. It's going to get more. That is the promise. Now, the fifth interpretation is the Malkizedic priesthood of overcomers. You are rewarded by Yahushua with the Urim, not from his Levitical breastplate, but, of course, from the Malkizedic breastplate. So, for me, I like number three and number five. I like that this is a tessera that serves as a token for admission into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I also like... Number five, the Malkizedic priesthood of overcomers. You and I, we are rewarded by Yahushua with the Urim from his Malkizedic breastplate. Be that as it may, that's something to look into, but it again is a part of our prophetic future. And we'll take a break, a sip from our sponsors south of the border. And then we'll dive right into verse 18 and we'll deal with that wicked, wicked, we know her, she, her result is good though, isn't it? I mean, did you see some, we saw, we saw some limbs this week in the news, didn't we? Did you see the limb with the big orange red ring that was blown up somewhere in Iraq, wasn't it? That's what happened to Jezebel. Of course, her hands and her feet as she was thrown and thrust. It wasn't a bomb or, you know, a reaper drone that did such damage. But today we do see the same effects of those conspirators that are all around us. Verse 18. And to the teaching overseer of the congregation in Thyatira write, These things, says the son of Yahuwah, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know your mitzvot, your works, and your ahava, your love, and your service, and your emunah, your faith, and your endurance, and your mitzvot, your good works, and the last to be more than the first. Verse 20. But I've got something against you. I don't think he said it like that. He wasn't English. But if he was, he may have said it that way. But he was Hebraic, 
in its full context, so he wouldn't have said it like that. But that's how I said it. I have a few things against you because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who called herself a Neviah, a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent from her fornication, and she repented not. See, I will cast her into a coffin, and them that commit adultery with her into the great tribulation, unless they make repentance from their wicked deeds, and I will kill her children... You see the connection here, how it's building from the Magi and Balaam to Matthew 2 to Revelation 12. The compromises, because there's a separating of the, of the goats and the sheep, the wheat and the chaff. Those that have got the outer garb of religion on to those that actually understand the inner reality. This is the day that we're living in. Your works are coming before Yahweh and he is making that separation clear. I will kill her children with death and all the Israelite congregation, congregation shall know that I am he who searches the inner reality, the inner minds and heart, and I will give to every one of you according to his wicked deeds. Now, the prophecies say that we are going to be gathered, but we're going to be built up by Yahushua as one new man. But with that is some problems. Because Paul didn't pull the one new man out of the Magi's hat. He was talking about separating from Babylon where the Magi were. Remember in the writings of Ezra the prophet, this is where this connects. The one new man, of course, is Ezra chapter 3, verse 1. We're building one new man as we're coming into the fullness because we are leaving mystery Babylon just as they left Babylon. They had to leave the Magi behind as you and I have to lead, leave the sorcery of Balaam and the Magi behind here in Revelation 2 so we can obtain our future of one new man. You see this in the opening chapters of Ezra, of course, chapter 3, verse 1. But then you turn to Ezra chapter 4 and you see there's a problem. Because in the fifth verse of Ezra chapter 4, you see it's not called Jezebel, but it is Jezebel. It's the same thing. It's the same spirit. Because there's people of the land, Ezra chapter 4 verse 5. What does that mean, people of the land? Oh, they're just worldly people, just carnal people. People that are of the land without the spirit, they are worldly. What do they want to do? They want to discourage you from the building anointing. They want to discourage you of obtaining the hidden manna. They want to discourage you from being the one new man. They are counselors that are hired. They are here to frustrate the very purposes of Yahweh with his people. They are people of the land. They are counselors. And they are here to frustrate the work. 
This is Jezebel. And you need to be aware of it because she or he are trying to tear down the one new man, Malchizedek anointing. And how do they do that? Chapter 4, verse 6 of Ezra, by accusation. By accusation. The spirit of Jezebel manifests under the tremble of murmuring and complaints reveals a heart of discontent which comes about when someone isn't thankful for what they have. They covet something that you have. Here's where the spirit is conjured up through the thoughts, the thoughts that are in turn activated by this disgruntled heart which quickly leads to covetousness which in turn triggers bitterness. It's really a spiritual chain reaction and it is of mighty danger to the end time saints. Because when Jezebel manifests, you see this spiral of self-deception comes over the person that has taken hold of that spirit. It affects their perception, meaning their lens, their lens becomes colored by the spirit of Jezebel. And the spirit of Jezebel thrives in a perceived lack. The spirit of Jezebel thrives in a perceived lack. Well, why, why, I'm lacking. I want, I want what you have. It's not fair. I should be there. I should have. The spirit of Jezebel thrives in a perceived lack. A perceived lack that blames others, especially those in a position that they covet. And it could be anything. The voice of the prophet that once inspired, she now wants to silence and hear no more. No more. But how could that happen? You sat there for so long and you were so excited about the message and, 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 and how it changed your life. And, but now, but now, you want to silence and hear no more. You see, because entitlement, and we live in a generation of entitlement, don't we? You see, entitlement is one of the roots of the Jezebel spirit. And it is over our political world right now. It's called communism, socialism. It is a Jezebelian spirit that has permeated into believers' lives because they are two in the world. It's a spirit of entitlement. Why should they have that? Why did they get to make that decision? You see, Jezebel truly believed she was entitled to the vineyard. Did she not? She truly believed that she was entitled to the vineyard. First Kings, Melachim Aleph, chapter 19, verse 2 is our Jezebel source text. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me a more also. If I do not make your life as the one, the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. 
So the spirit of Jezebel will send messengers. Of course, today it's like text messengers. But really, it's the same thing. The spirit of Jezebel will send messengers rather than go to speak to the prophets. Oh, no, you're not going to get any face-to-face time with Jezebel. It's going to be text messenger. Sending messengers. It's going to be under the cover of darkness. No face-to-face. It will always be through other means. First Kings chapter 21, verse 7, it is written. But Jezebel, his wife, there's always an Ahab around. Whenever there's a Jezebel, there's always an Ahab around. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? Because the spirit of Jezebel always waits for an opening with others in the assembly. When someone else is vexed, then it's time to strike with that spiritual magic. We've got to wait till somebody else is vexed. Once somebody's upset about, that's my time to move in. The Jezebel spirit, though, isn't restricted to females. A Jezebel spirit can operate in a male or female, and it can lay dormant for absolutely years. Absolutely years. Unhealed, deep hurt is usually the reason. It's unhealed, deep hurt, which then brings forth manifestations of bitterness, resentment. And it awakens that Jezebelian spirit. It's an open door for chaos, absolute chaos and destruction for those that tolerate it in their midst. You've got to stand a hard line. You've got to stand a hard line because Jezebel will not confront face-to-face. It's always by messenger, always by messenger. Now, of course, you know, I've witnessed it fully manifest in men before, but usually it's a husband and wife team, or more specifically, I should say, a naive man, an Ahab with a wife. A spiritually naive man with an Ahab, a wife. So, 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 8. So, she wrote letters. Did she go face to face? No, no. She wrote letters today, text messenger, email, in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who live with Naboth in his city. You see, ultimately, the spirit of Jezebel, she wants the vineyard. And the vineyard is you. It's Israel. And she wants her way with the saints. She wants her own venue. She wants her own vineyard. Wherever the fruit is being produced, and to do it, she'll start a text messenger chain, an email chain, sending letters to get the ball rolling. And that's how it will start. Then the spirit of discontentment forges this devious plan. How can I gain position? Oh, how can I gain position? And the spirit that has no authority of its own, it has to usurp authority to get it. That's how it happens. That's how it happens. Many of us that are in music ministry, 
Many of us that are in sound ministry, teaching ministry, or undergirders, we find, of course, that we have to deal with Jezebel so many times, so many times, and it is truly a sad, sad dealing. But Yahweh always pulls through, and eventually there's a cancer in the Jezebel, a cancer in the Ahab. Because Jezebel will twist the truth. Jezebel will defame. Jezebel will place guilt. Jezebel will manipulate. Jezebel will control. Even sometimes steal. Jezebel seeks to destroy and even try to metaphorically kill a ministry of the one whose position it covets to obtain. Utter, you're like, Somebody just let a grenade off in the how why would you do because they they would rather destroy it than see those that are stewarding it obtain it without them. It's that destruction, that de- destructive. The spirit cannot act alone. It has to join forces to take possession. So therefore it will coerce strengthen its position. And once the spirit has planted a lie that implies something about another person, the scheme to manipulate takes hold. For me personally, I always get very, very concerned when people come up to me, and I use that word deliberately, and say, people are saying, or people, I'll be like, um, and, and, who is the person specifically? What's their first and last name? Oh, well, I can't say. Oh, but you can say everything about the people. People are say. give me the first and last name. Otherwise, I don't want to hear about the people saying this. Because if it's real, then I should be able to go and speak to the person, first name, last name, and have a face-to-face with them. But you see, we can get away with a lot as a Jezebel when we go, the people, they want to go back to Egypt. Well, which, which ones? Let's just kick them out of the camp. Give me the first and last name. Where do they live? But it's always, you see? Do you see how it works? You have to be very, very careful. Words mean things. So let's identify Because identification will mean face-to-face, which is a Bible reality for the prophets. Panaim, el panaim. If I have to do something dirty, I'm going to do it face-to-face. And when I say dirty, that means sometimes you've got to take out the trash. And sometimes you've got to do the ugly. And I tell this to my staff. I said, you know what? The hard conversations are the best conversations. Because if you can work face-to-face through a hard conversation, you can oftentimes turn an enemy into a friend because it takes stomach to have a face-to-face conversation, even if it is a hard one and it's uncomfortable. You'll get somewhere when you're face-to-face. You won't get anywhere but Jezebel through messengers and letters and correspondence. Yahushua warns us here in Revelation chapter 2 to be aware, and today in the world that we live, we have to be specifically aware because we do 
live in a society where people are having very little face-to-face -face relationship. Relationships are majority today through messenger and letters, email and text messenger. And that is a way to communicate information, but it is not a way to build a sustainable, intimate relationship. You're here today from out of state because you, I'm surmising, correct me if I'm wrong, value some face-to-face, -face. I want to see the reality of what's going on. I need to see for myself, to hear with my ears, and to be able to discern. And that takes what? Strength, courage, conviction, and it's going to cost you. It's usually going to cost you some money. It's going to cost you some time. It's going to count in your life, but you'll come away being assured. And people don't have the time for that. They don't have the conviction and the creed for that. For anything worth anything, you have to fight for it. Jezebelian traits to be aware of. We'll finish up in Revelation chapter 2. Of course, Jezebel, I've seen it so many times, and it really, really saddens me that so many of you out there have been hurt and wounded by this Jezebelian spirit. Oftentimes, many of you have had home groups, home assemblies, people that you trusted came alongside you, came in, uh, and, and you, you, were, you were taken advantage of or her, or they didn't do things the right way. And that makes a difference. I had an employee this week who quit on me. Quit on me. But you know how she did it? She requested an appointment with me. She came into my business, or she was already working there. She came into my office. She handed me a letter of resignation. I read it, and I said, I said, this means so much to me. I said, you, I've always known that you, you, you were a great person, and we've had a great working relationship, but this, this is how it's supposed to be done. I said, and you have my full blessing I hope the best for you. If you need anything in the future, I, I, I am here for you. And I, I, I send you out with a blessing and success. And I totally am. This is how it's supposed to be done. That's called integrity. Do you know how many people have left me, abandoned me, abandoned you out there with none of that integrity? No integrity. It's okay if you disagree. It's okay at some point if there's a parting of... But you know what? You can finish well by doing it in decency and honor. Do it right because then you get the blessing. Do it wrong and you end up cursed, alone. And whatever they try to start, it implodes because the grenade follows but Yahweh will clear out where they left a big gap and he will fill with the refiner's fire and bring in the true saints who understand it's not outer garb, it's an inner reality. And what I have found, 
that many of you that are here online that are with us, you have weathered Jezebel. The hurt, the pain, the abandonment, the family rejecting and neglecting, people misunderstanding, coming in and being betrayed. But we have to get over the hurt. And that is a deep work. But it takes us to a place now where we can truly do amazing things together. But we all need to watch out because we are our brother's keeper. We are our brother's keeper. And I think when we've gone through those Jezebelian traits, we really find that authenticity of relationship with believers. And so I look back on those times and yes, it hurt, but I wouldn't change it because it's where I'm at now and I see the value because Yahuwah has brought a whole group of people that have gone through similar hurts as well, but they chose to do things the right way in their life, in their ministry, having hard conversations face to face is the way of the saints. It is the way of Moses. And that's how we're to act. Jezebel always targets key leadership and plants subtle doubt through Ahab partners in order to discredit, place just that little seed of doubt so that they can then work to promote their own ideas and agenda. There's going to be a twisting of the truth. There's always, you know, there's always some truth in it. What they say, there's always some truth in it because no one would buy it if it was just one big whopping lie. So there's always a little bit of truth in it. And that little bit of truth will gain access with those that don't have the discernment and it will enable Jezebel to get a step in their Jezebelian direction. And usually... Oftentimes, it's their pride that is wounded, and that's what triggered the initial response, especially when they feel that maybe they've been overlooked for a specific recognition that they felt they should have got, a specific honor that they should have had. And I've had it so many times. People say, oh, oh Matthew, he's so aloof, and he just walked right by me. He didn't even say hi to me. I'm like, and then... It, I hear this through a different person, and I'm like, well, no, it's just that I was thinking about the technology, the broadcast, the message, whether we, the battery packs work in the headphones in, a lot of pressure, and I'm very single-mindedly focused. So it's got, yeah, I have a very specific job to do. Once I've done it, I can kind of let down, but I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm, no, I am very specific. But you see a misreading of that. Oh, Matthew's aloof. Oh, no, no. Actually, no. Matthew's extremely focused and shuts out everything to be able to do what is required. But the perception is their reality. And then the offense strikes. Didn't even look at me. Didn't even say hi to But he said hi to her. Oh, oh. That's because she put her foot out and I tripped over it. I had to say hi. Right? But these are the things that I've encountered over the years. And we can laugh now. But at the time, it was not funny. 
Because Jezebel will set one friend against another, using those little crafty murmurings and gossips, of course, mixed with a little bit of truth, truth to achieve that goal, which is always about one of control. Jezebel will always position themselves as the redeemer. I'll fix the situation. The redeemer, of course, the uniting force. Oh, come on, gather around. We'll do something good, you know, because they're not doing... But I will redeem the situation. Gather around. I'll do something good over the perceived wrong that they over there are doing that I've discovered and brought to your attention. And now I've fostered it, haven't I? And now I can grow it. Let's grow it together. See? See how this happens? They're jealous for the more gifted than themselves or those who receive honor and acceptance. Well, how come she plays the piano like that? Or how come he, he's wearing the headset? Or how come he's working on the sound? This is how it happens. I could do a better job. Well, didn't you know, used to know what I used to do? See, and where does this come from? It comes from the people of the land, Ezra chapter 3. The people of the land that then are jealous of those that are being brought in through the anointing. It's a very natural, natural man reality that then does not understand the supernatural because it's a lack of discernment. But Jezebel has to cling to something and it will be bitterness through past hurts that are unresolved. Jezebel moves in the spiritual realm, thus seemingly very, very religious, and appears to be the most spiritual person that you have ever known. But it is a farce. It is a circus of magic. They love to gather the body around for the specific purpose of divining, mixing half-truths in an effort to control. Jezebel will shift a whole congregation of people and leave a giant tomb of a crater bomb behind. And you're like, how could somebody do that? We're dealing with the kingdom of Yahweh and his people here. We may not agree with everybody, and sometimes, you know, things could have been done differently. But these are still Yahweh's people. These are still Yahweh's ministries. These are still Yahweh's giftings. Oh, for me, I got too much fear of Yahweh to be messing around with that stuff. I just focus on the gifting that I have and the anointing and trying to equip and help others with theirs. And that's what we have to do today to be able to be the overcomers in these last days. So be watchful. And we are each other's keeper. We are. But don't send me a message through email or text message. Have the face-to-face, and I assure you, I will do so with you too. And the bitterness that we find with Jezebel, it really is just a reaction to a perceived or imagined injustice. These are the roots. And then self-pity starts to creep in. Oh, that's a terrible thing. Self-pity, carefully disguised. It has to be disguised, of course, as false humility. This, of course, is the big facade for the deeply rooted bitterness that does manifest itself. There will always be the Ahab behind the Jezebel. 
Ahab is the enabling spirit of the Jezebel. And Jezebel's game, though, will eventually, I've seen it every time, it will come to light. Sadly, it's always too late for those who get caught up in the farce. And her spirit leaves the person or people alone, leaves them exposed, leaves them isolated with nothing that they set out to claim. Everything that they set out to claim, they end up with none of it. Her jockeying for headship is eventually exposed and the works of her hands are eventually exposed, thrown over the wall for all to see that she caused a ministry catastrophe. And then it's time to build Ezra chapter 3 and 4. And at that point, you then awaken and you put watchmen on the wall. And that's where we're at now. That's why we had the conversation we did before the broadcast today. Todd asked me about how Sukkot was. And I told him, and now we go, it's time to put the watchman on the wall because the people are coming and we are not going to have the counselors and those from the land doing the destruction of Jezebelian things that happened before. So it is all part of the refiner's fire. Could I see that a year and a half ago when I was in the midst? Could I see that a decade ago when I was in the midst? No. But you have to go through that to be able to see that then helps you to be where you need to be for the prophetic implications that we are now about to obtain. The white stone and the hidden manna But when they went to bury that Jezebel, they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hand. Verse 24 of chapter 2. We'll finish up and then get your questions ready for me because I want to give it a bang and answer them. I might not be able to, but we'll have a whirl. So let's get those questions ready. Line them up. Verse 24. But I... Say to you and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this teaching of uncleanness and who have not known the depths of Satan as they call them, I will put upon them no other burden, but that which you have already hold fast until I come. And he that overcomes and keeps my commandments to the end I will give him power over the nations and he shall rule them with that rod of iron as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to pieces even as I received from my other. So this is the scepter that was prophesied from Balaam, Numbers 24, coming all the way forward and it is going to dash them into pieces and I will give him the morning star. But you have to have an ear. You have to be able to hear what the Spirit says to these end time congregations. Chapter 2. We're like four deep in chapter 2 but it was super, super energetic for me and prophetic for many, I hope. Let's have a look and see 
what we've got on the chat today. What camera am I going to be on? All right, because we have to go for a wider zoom angle. Let's see if I can work with this. All right. Okay. This one's from Mickey. I know Mickey. Mickey, we have... Matthew said he believed the white stone was number three and number five. Can it be that all five definition of what the white stone is have a grain of truth in them? Well, certainly, yes. Definitely. And there even could be more interpretations out there. From my prayer and study, I've discovered those five. And um, I, I just like the three and the five. I thought that really resonated with me. Um, but you be, you be your own judge. But yes, Mickey, and uh, blessings. Thank you for tuning in. Hang on, I've got Mario texting me now. What do you want me to do, Mario? I'm supposed to be reading the, reading the chat here. I've got double things going on. Hang on. Oh, no. Uh, hang on. Hang on. Here's a message from Mario. Mario suggested if people want... I've got to read this and make sure. Is this like for everybody or is this like Mario giving me some private information? Oh. Oh, okay. That's a good one. All right. This one is not for private information. Mario suggested... If people want to ask you questions face-to-face, they can through Shabbat Fellowship. That's an e- Which camera are we on now? Oh, we're on there. Okay, thank you. I see the red light. Right. Yes, I am going to be on Shabbat Fellowship next Shabbat at 9 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, and you'll get to see my ugly mug in my pajamas, and you can see me face-to-face. And... Um, we can chat then face-to-face. So that's a very good idea. I like that. Let's get another question here. Let's see. This is from Kevin Presnell. Any references to Revelation 2, verse 22, and how this could help disprove the pre-trib theory? Well, again, that is, I mean... That is such a big thing that is permeating the world today that really does stir up the whole wicked mixture of lukewarmness. Is the pre-tribulation rapture theory. Now, that is, uh, I, I would go to Thessalonians to disprove that myself. I think that's the best place to go is Thessalonians. Um, but yes, of course, that's huge. In the church, as they use these opening chapters of chapter of Revelation to say, "Well, look, the the assemblies are here, and then John gets called up there. Therefore, that's the pre-trib rapture. That that's Obama math to me. It just makes no sense. So, yeah, I would say that that you're better off to um, rebut." the pre-tribulation rapture with, of course, Thessalonians. Let's see if we've got another question here. This is from Modesto Gaza. Now, Modesto, I believe, has been following us for some time. So um, appreciate you sticking with us through the trials, Modesto. And you have been a faithful 
witness, brother. I know over the, over the past that Modesto has gone to bat for this ministry, um, and I really do appreciate that. Um, I really do. So let's see what you have got to say today. Do you believe it is possible to pinpoint our time today in the timeline of the book of Revelation? Well, that's an excellent question, but um, I wouldn't pinpoint a timeline, but I would just say looking at, and I've, I've discussed this and, and shared this so many times that, that I, I mean, mo- most probably even last week, we are at just pre-Civil War 19th century escalation with the political and the spiritual. We are in this great time right now of vexing of the nations. Of course, this year is an election year. Four years later, we've got another election year. We're seeing huge changes with the way the world is working. I believe that we are in this time where we should really be looking at the prophecies of Jacob's trouble. Because Jacob had two tribulations, I've shared this before. His lesser tribulation, his trouble, when everything started to get shaken up, was the division of the camps when, of course, he met his brother. After he fled from Balaam, Laban. Okay, Laban. And we can see those that were persecuting Israel. This was his first trouble, Jacob's trouble. His great tribulation was, of course, some time later, which was when his beloved son Joseph, and we are Joseph, all 12 tribes, but under Ephraim, Ephraim is Joseph and Manasseh, It's the scepter of Joseph we're seeing here that's coming out of the nations. When that news was brought to Jacob, that was his great tribulation. I think we're in the time of Jacob's trouble, and that means that we are in this season where we're starting to see the stirring of the waters, which is the nations. It's going to be an unsettling like never before. So, yes, Modesto, I do believe that we can, we can look and have a, a, a finger on the pulse of the times that we're in. The synagogue of Satan and it's rising up in chapter 2 and where we're at today in the body politic and spiritual is huge to me. And that's what we were discussing before we went live today. So let's see. Um, Oh, okay. Do we have more? Um, Timothy, um, of course, who is our host with Charlene on the calendar club. Covenant Calendar Club meets every Friday night. I fully recommend you go to our website, torahtothetribes.com forward slash connect and connect on our online platforms. One of those, of course, hosted by Timothy and Charlene on the Covenant calendar. I can't read all of what Timothy says. I don't think it's a question, but I like what it says. In the Tanakh, all the patriarchs are recorded as living in a tekufa. Now, that's a key phrase. You can look it up in your Bible. Tekufa 
based year which simply cannot be lunar. Oh, what else is he saying? Let me see it. Simply cannot be a lunar year simply by the Hebrew words. And of course, Timothy's totally, totally correct there. Let's have a look. What else do we have? I'm having a good time. All right. Um, Ah, this is from Tonya Dahl. Can you list five things that Revelation speaks that we are to overcome? I think I think I already listed them over the past four weeks, right? I mean, there, there's so much there. There really, truly is. But excellent, excellent question there. And let's see what else we got. Timothy again. I like this. The Torah is my absolute authority, period. I would, I would extend that and say the Bible, Genesis, Genesis to Revelation, is my absolute authority, authority. And it does build, of course, the Torah and the Nevim, the prophets, the writings, and the Brit Hadashah. And they are all perfectly threaded together by the Redeemer's blood. And no verse contradicts another. If there's a seeming contradiction, it is a lack of our perception. Here's another one. Oh, here we go. Now, this is a difficult one. To, this person needs to get a new username. I don't know how do you say your name. Quotidium. 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 That's how I'm going to pronounce it. Quotidium. How do we prepare physically and spiritually in such times? And when do we go back to Torah portions? <laughs> okay, yeah, when do we? After we get through Revelation, um, whenever that will be, we'll go back to Torah portions. And how do we prepare physically? Well, physically is important. Spiritually is mu much more important. Physically, let's talk about the physical. I can only talk about what I've done and what the testimony I have from many people is be aware of where you live, okay? The cities are definitely going to be the first to be locked down. We're seeing mass, mass homelessness. We're seeing that this is all being propagated through the state system. The cities are going to become those FEMA camp centers. So, you know, if you get to be in a rural area, that's definitely advantageous. You know, the Bible tells us that when they left Egypt, of course, they went without food and water for three days. So you should definitely prepare yourself physically that you would be able to endure. So, you know, maybe you want to practice fasting um, from abstaining from food and water. This is just a suggestion. Because eventually, you're going to go for three days and, and three um, nights without food and water. Many people aren't going to be able to function. I mean, I've, I'm drinking a lot of coffee right now, especially with you guys visiting. Um, so, you know, that definitely would hamper my fasting. When I fast, I have to make sure that I haven't had any caffeine for a week and then I'm good to go. But if I go into a fast after being straight on coffee the day before, I am suffering. I mean, I'll get through it, but it's painful. So these are things you have to think about. Obviously, if somebody's on mass prescri prescription drugs, that could be a problem. That could be a major problem. These are things to think about. So getting full body health is part of that. 
having some provisions at home is good, you know. You've got to be able to do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I mean, that's definitely a must. No, I'm kidding, but, you know, I don't have to do that anymore because I have my sons do it because they're my bodyguards. So that's pretty cool, especially my eldest son. So, you know, we make sure that he's in, um, you know, those types of sports. And we do small arms, weapons, and tactics. And now I'm getting into the silly, but it's true. You know, I do like to be prepared. So, you know, you can prepare. But at the end of the day, your rice and beans isn't going to save you. Your jiu-jitsu isn't going to save you. It is the spirit of Yahweh. So once you've done the basic physical stuff, then it's really take stock spiritually and build up the spiritual man. Because... If you were thrown in prison, heaven forbid, for 10 days, you're not going to have any of those provisions and you'll be like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and you will need the spirit in you to be able to sustain. And that's a great man right there. And many people will go, oh, you can't like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a Lutheran. Oh, so you're, hey, he lived in his day and his time and he was a faithful witness to the end and his writings are powerful because he lived it. And he was prepared spiritually. And they stripped him naked. And they walked him in the rain to the gallows. And he hung for his faith. And we will see him in glory. That is the kind of preparation that we truly, truly need. So, got lots of questions today. This is fun, isn't it? That's fun for me. You guys are all like, when are we going to have the Oneg? All right, what else we got here? All right. Somebody says, this person's um, name is John 3.30. Is that your name, really? That's a great name. I like that. John 3.30 says, I don't know if this is a question, but I like it. Two men, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. I don't know what that means, but... Uh, ah, let's see here. Uh, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, Elohim, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. Okay, so there we go. And that, that, that's an odd one to finish on. It's cryptic. And that's where we'll finish. Questions, comments in here, in-house. You guys are all stumped and ready for Oneg, aren't you? Grumbling tummies. Oh, you have a question. Oh, you don't? You just wanted to take the mic. All right, Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. So we shall, Yahuwah willing, I'll catch you live next Sabbath. And remember the Covenant Calendar Club on Friday nights so you can see if you can understand that manna week because we're looking for the 1260 days, the 30-day month, 360-day year prophecies that are coming about. And just as Timothy said, the moon cannot be a part of that calculation as hard as that is for some to let go of. And it is for me. We are doing the work, and I know that you are doing the work, equipping the saints in these end times. Give us some thumbs up if you like the teaching. And if you've been hate-watching all the way to the end, give us some thumbs up too, because you couldn't resist it, could you, you Jezebelian? And those of you that truly are 
of the remnant faith, subscribe to the channel and we'll catch you next Shabbat live. Shabbat Shalom!